It's time for Tin Pan Diddly Doo with Haley, Rose, and Blues. We'll talk about musicals from the past and the score and the culture and cast. From the early days of theater to the modern renaissance. Be it wild, experimental, or the same old song and dance. We've got trivia behind the scenes and everything you want. And our personal input to the things that make us happy. That make us blue. <laughs> nice. The stuff that's vapid and sappy. And the moments that shine through, shine through. Why not sit on down for an hour or two as we edutain you? Come and satisfy your craving for a podcast with possess. The audience is raving for the content this one has. And since the intro's nearly through, welcome to Tin Pan Diddly Doo. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and variations thereupon. Welcome back to Tin Pan Diddly Doo, a stupidly named musical theater history podcast. I'm your director, Lily Blue. Boo! Ah! And I'm your spooky gaffer girl, Haley Rose. What? You're fired. I'm fired? Why? You, you scared me. Oh, that's right. A techie should never be seen. We lurk in the shadows, looming in the darkness, rolling, well, rolling through alleyways. With our with our switchblades and and straight razors in hand, coming up, sneaking behind actors and and making sure that the lights are fixed. Well, that. But also, I'm your director, and you're not supposed to treat me that way. You're my director, and I'm not supposed to treat you that way. This yeah. is supposed to be an ega. I have rights. I'm in the gaffers union. You know, I you're not even paying me dues, and this is you're not even paying me like standard. Like union rates to be here. I don't have. You yes, know what I the am. spookiest? I you treat had, you very well. You know, let's let's talk about this real quick before we started this. You said let's come up with a spooky bit. I'll come up with the spookiest bit. This is union <laughs> exploitation. You are not treating me fairly. I have rights as a worker, and this is the spookiest part of all. Happy you know, Halloween. it's actually really funny because you're kind of foreshadowing one element of the show we're going to be talking about today. I foreshadow, I'm, I am the shadows. I am, I lurk in the <laughs> darkness. I am foreshadows. I promote them. I think that they're great. I'm definitely foreshadows. And that's, that's just where I stand. And I mean, shadows can, can be a very, like, can be a very useful, dramatic element. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, blood and, you know, like, cool skunk hair streaks. Um, well, this has one of those things. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure there's no skunk hairs? That could skunk, Pretty gunk, sure. Gunk, gunk. Pretty sure there's not. Okay. Only if you're named Johnny Depp. I'm not. Well, Lucky, for you you. <laughs> Lucky for you. Lucky for you, you're not Johnny Depp. Lucky for um, you, you're, I'm not Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, All right. Let's, so, uh, <laughs> in case you haven't figured out what we're talking about yet, or if you didn't read the title of the episode, today we're talking about Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Sweeney Teeny. 
Sweeney, teeny, 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 tiny, Sweeney Todd. And Swad uh, Todd. Swad Todd. Todd. He he lives in your pocket. He's the, he's the leader of the Todd squad. <laughs> Swad Todd, the leader of the Todd squad, lives in your pocket and says, Bod, Bod. You're very tired. I'm sleepy, peepy. Wow. Ooh, all right, right so it's after Halloween, but I told uh, Haley and I both cherish Halloween more than any other holiday, so yes. I wanted to do a spooky episode. This is so our declaration about, of war on Christmas. Yes, well, that's the gay agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is personally, of all the spooky musicals, probably my personal favorite. Uh the other ones are good but i this is personally my favorite um i've mm-hmm. actually been in this one which i think is why it like holds a special place in my heart but you played mrs lovett no i played toby toby mcguire the man who i was a spider man little... no you were a little spider man i was little tiny spider man as a freshman in, in sweeney, high school yes in sweeney todd in sweeney todd i always thought I... that was the weirdest part of Sweeney Todd was right at the end when like he'd just gotten done murdering everybody and he was mm-hmm. like, We got away with it, Miss We got away with it, Mrs. Lovett. We're gonna be meat pie t- magnets and everyone's no one knows the wiser. And then Spider Man swoops in and he's like, Not so fast, Sweeney Todd. And he, and he f- kills him. He f- kills him. Spider-Man We're not supposed to swear. Oops, sorry. Baby you tricked me with your witchy ways, with your with your feminine wiles. Oh, burn me at the stake, I guess. All right, so Sweeney Todd, speaking of burning, we are actually uh-huh. going to talk about that. Okay. Literally, there's so much, this musical is so good and there's so much in it and it's really dark and spooky. So like, we probably should put some kind of trigger warning on this. Barbershop trigger warning. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about death, like a lot, a lot, Mm -hmm. but we're also going to talk a lot about music. So if you can like muscle through the death and horror and gore for the music talk, I'm surprised that you like this with how squidgy you are. I like it because I got to kill a man. Woof. (laughs) Woof. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Okay, no, here's the thing is like, I'll let me talk about the musical first and then I'll tell talk about why I like this musical. Okay. Okay, go ahead. So this musical premiered on Broadway on March first of nineteen seventy nine and it closed on June twenty ninth of nineteen eighty. So it didn't run very long. It only had five hundred and fifty seven performances and nineteen previews. Mm-hmm. Um it it didn't run very long, but it had a super excellent run. Um it was directed by Hal Prince, which that's a name you should know. Like that's like, he Hal Prince is is the Prince of Broadway. Like that's his name. That's what ah, he go. That's, that's what he's in known his as. Name. Like, yeah. Well, he didn't. Yes. Um. He directed. There's no one else uh, named Prince on Broadway. I get it. <laughs> he's um, the, he's the Prince of Broadway. I got it. I he, got you. He's the Prince of Broadway. Wait. Um. He directed Evita. He directed Don't Merrily Cry Roll for Along. Me, Avita. He directed Phantom of the Opera. He directed Showboat in 1994. He directed 
Candide. He directed Kiss of the Spider Woman. He directed Pacific <gasps> Overture. I told you Spider-Man was in this one. Turn directed, off the dark. Let's do it. Um, he co-produced West Side Story multiple times. Neato. Uh, he co-produced Pajama Game. He's been around forever. He's old. He's 90. Damn. He's wanna, very old. I want to be 90. Yeah, right? Same. Um, but yeah, no, he's super important and he's like been a super big, He wor- he's worked with Stephen Sondheim very, very closely, which uh-huh. I didn't write in my document that Stephen Sondheim did the music and lyrics for this musical, which is like the most important thing to talk about. But I guess somewhere in the back of my brain, I was like, everybody knows remember. this is a Sondheim musical. <laughs> Which well, isn't true. We can't take that for granted. I thought I know. It was, I thought it was by Stephen Stephen Sondheim's um, much peppier twin brother, um, Stevie Songheim, uh, who wrote Jingles. So that was they that don't was my even mistake. they can't be twins. They don't have the same name. That doesn't make any sense. Um, baby, it's twenty eighteen. Okay. Um, So the music and lyrics were written by Stephen Sondheim, and the book was written by Hugh Wheeler. Um, The wheels in the sky keep on turning. Continue. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, if you don't know who Stephen Sondheim is, uh, read uh, a gosh darn book. Read a dang book. I I would say he's probably most well known for West Side Story, even though he only wrote lyrics for West Side Story. Mm. I don't know. When West Side Story is kind shit, of a oh, Bernstein my. thing. He also wrote lyrics for Gypsy. Sondheim I know did Company. Gypsy. He did Follies. He did Little Night Music, Pacific Overtures, Merrily Roll Along, Sitting in the Park with George. Into the Woods is probably his most popular now that I say that because Disney made a movie uh, out of it. Um, that was the truth comes out there it is I had to like go through all of them before I could remember Um, it was choreographed by Larry Fuller and it was the set now I've included this person because he's a very important person the set was designed by a man named Eugene Lee okay Um, he did the set for Sweeney Todd you say that like it's important yeah he's just like so I say this because techies don't always get enough credit. Like when we talk about shows, we always talk about the director and the choreographer and like who wrote the show and whatever. Mm-hmm. But the all the people who do the technical work also do a lot of work. And there are probably somebody out there listening to this podcast who's like going to school to be a scenic designer. And so like they don't necessarily care about like musicians. <laughs> they want to know about like famous set designers, right? right. Like. You know, because I care about musicians because I'm a musician. Right. That's my point. So, like, Eugene Lee is, like, a super big name scenic designer. He designed a set for Wicked. Okay. Um, uh, He also has done work on um, Ragtime and The Normal Heart, uh, which is a play. Uh, He did work on Candide, which is a Leonard Bernstein show. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he also has been a production designer for SNL. Um, on and off. And uh, this man is crazy. <laughs> he has two BFAs, one from the Goodman School of Drama uh, of the Art Institute of Chicago and one from Carnegie Mellon or Carnegie Mellon, depending on where you're from. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he has an MFA from Yale and three wow. honorary PhDs. 
Damn, I really shouldn't have. I I was like not positioned well for a spit take, but I was literally like yeah. sipping my tea while you said that, and there was a part of me, like the comedian part of me, was like spit it out on your computer screen and ruin all your technology. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. Thank you for. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of self control today. Good. Um. Uh. So yeah, he's a cool person. Certainly. Um, some other cool people that have so the other people you should know like from this show, uh-huh. um, Sweeney Todd was played by Len Carriou, Mrs. Lovett was played by Angela Lansbury, Ooh. Anthony was played by Victor Garber, and Joanna was played by Sarah Rice. Angela Lansbury is Mrs. Potts, right? Yes, she is. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and Victor Garber uh is probably best known for most of his like film and television work. Okay. Um, he's done some like really famous stuff that I can't remember off the top of my head right now. If you saw his face, you would recognize him. Okay. Um, but I know him from. Do you know the not the old Annie movie with um, uh, no. I've not seen either of those. So you've not seen either of the Annie movies. No. Okay. Well, it's not the old Annie movie with uh, Carol Burnett and um. Oh, why is his name escaping me right now? I don't know. Let's move on. He's in the new one with with uh he's he plays Daddy Warbucks in the new one with Kristen Chenoweth and Alan Cummings and Kathy Got Bates mm-hmm. and Audra McDonald and all those people. Cool. Um speaking of Audra McDonald, she has also been in this show at one point. She was in the New York Philharmonic concert version in 2014 as the beggar woman. Huh. Um Christian Borel is another actor who I know and love that played Pirelli in the New York Philharmonic concert version in 2014. And this is that McElroy reference I was telling you about. Uh-huh. Matt Doyle. Matt <laughs> played Doyle. Anthony, played Anthony in the 2007 Broadway revival. Matt Doyle. <laughs> Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. Uh, some other people in the second Broadway revival, uh, Michael Cerverus played Sweeney Todd and Patti Lapone played Mrs. Lovett. Oh, Patty LaPone. There she is. So yeah, there's been like so many famous people have been in this show in various roles. There's a whole lot more. I just included some of my personal favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned a bunch of characters there. Let's talk about them. Okay. Um, so our main character is Sweeney Todd. Sw- sw- Sweeney Sweeney. Sweeney Teeny. Swad Sweeney Teeny. Sweeney Todd, also otherwise known as Benjamin Barker. Um, he is very depressed and about, full of. Oh wow, Benjamin Parker. Yes, uh, he's depressed and morose and full morose and full of anger and very vengeful. He's a barber by profession, mm-hmm. who at the beginning of the show has just recently returned to London um, after 15 years of unjust imprisonment in Australia. Mm. Um, and so now he's back in London and he's seeking his revenge against the judge that sent him Ooh. there. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then we have Mrs. Lovett, who is like super talkative and peppy. And uh, she owns a pie shop making meat pies. Yeah, We're not yum. talking like cherry pies and apple pies. We're talking like mince meat pies. Hot pockets. Yeah. <laughs> hot pockets? Yeah. Oh, hachi machi. Okay. I mean, I was thinking I more like a pot pie, you know, like a meat, no, like a meat pie. Like, no, they're like they're like dumplings. 
Okay. So like small you know, little doodads? I yeah, thinking, they're okay. they're more like empanadas. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, it's, I dig it, that. Yeah, it's like a round piece of dough that you fill with meat and you fold it in half and you crimp the edge and you bake it. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, she, but she's also the landlady, so she owns the pie shop downstairs and then the barber shop is upstairs. Okay. Um, then there's Anthony, who is uh, a young boy, not too, too young. He's like in his, you know, probably late teens, early 20s. He's a sailor mm-hmm. um, and he rescued Todd. Okay. Um, he rescued from Sweeney prison? Todd from, from prison. Um, like he busted and him out? No, I think it was more of just like Sweeney Todd needed a way to get back to London. Okay. And Anthony brought him there. Got it. Okay. Um, and so they're they're in good favor with each other. Right on. Um, and he falls in love with Joanna, who is who is Sweeney Todd's daughter. Oh. Um, that was just like a little itty bitty child when he was sent away, and now she's a full, grown, beautiful young lady, and she lives with Judge Turpin as, as his, his ward. Ward, right. And now Judge Turpin Time. is the corrupt judge who sent Todd away um, and was in love with his wife, Right. which is why he sent Sweeney Todd away in the first place, because he wanted Lucy for his own. Uh, right. Yeah. Was infatuated with Lucy um, and later becomes infatuated with Joanna. Ew. Ew. Yeah. He's a gross old man. Uh, Judge Turpin is a terrible, terrible person. He's the Snape. real villain of this story. Played by Alan Rickman. <laughs> We're not talking about the movie, baby. Oh. I know that's your only like touchstone for this. Yeah. But I mean, Alan Rickman yes. is a is a master of. Oh yeah, no. Acting. I mean, he was fantastic. Like everybody. I mean, we'll get there. Um, then there's Tobias um, or Toby who is uh, in the movie. Okay, this is like, we'll get into the movie. I really hate the movie. I'm just going to state that right now. Like, the movie is awful and terrible, and I hate it. Got Um, it. But uh, Toby in the movie is played by a young boy, but in the story, he's supposed to just be like what they, the word that they use is simpleton. Right. But he's like a 30-year-old man that has some kind of like, mental disorder and so acts like a young child okay so he's not actually a young child and so like the fact that they put him as a child in the movie it just like takes a lot away from who the character is as a person okay um but anyway he toby is a super super i played that role yeah you played that okay um toby is a super super important role in the show because Uh like um, he ends up becoming like really good friends with Mrs. Lovett mm-hmm. and like seeing her as a mother, but he does not trust Sweeney Todd ever at all. Right. Um, and so he like is super important to the plot. We'll get there later. Okay. Um, there's a minor character, Beetle Bamford. He's Judge Turpin's right hand man. Um, and then there's the beggar woman who appears all throughout the show. She's just a mad woman who like she always uh, just like she goes on and on and she just comes into the the scene like screaming about how the city's on fire and people she's, are burning and dying she's and like, like yeah. a sort of postmodern Greek chorus. 
Yes, but we get there. She is other things later, but I'm not going to spoil it yet. Okay. Um, and then there's Aldolfo Pirelli, otherwise known as Daniel O'Higgins. Also who known is an, as Sasha Baron Cohen. Also known as Sha- Sasha Baron Cohen, who is an Irish Irish charlatan um, and was formerly an employee of Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, like and, his, his like um, apprentice? Yeah. Okay. They work together. Um, and since then, he has developed this public pr- persona as like a super flashy Italian barber. Um, okay. And he, because like this is, so now, we're, now we, we probably need to get into like the context of the show and like when it takes place and all that kind of stuff. Right. So the character of Sweeney Todd has its origins from popular Victorian fiction known as Penny Dreadfuls, which I'm sure... Mm-hmm everyone's heard of at some point or another well Um, let's give a rundown of what a penny dreadful is for those who don't know so a penny dreadful is basically like a cheapo little magazine story that's like you know local legends and like you know sort of like it's almost like a zine about like spooky things and so like a lot of like monster stories about like vampires and and werewolves and and all kinds of stuff like that came from these penny dreadfuls. Right. And you can actually buy, still buy collections of them. Like they sell whole like books that are just whole collections of penny dreadfuls. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were just like pulp fiction. They were like, you know, nickel yeah. comics that you got at the grocery store. Right. Or like, you know, $5 erotic novels. Right. You know, that you get from the like, gas station. Like they yeah, were just, just like, like they, they were like really poor. I mean, not necessarily poor quality, but they were just like. Yeah, cheap. You know, like anybody could write them and publish them in, yeah. in a magazine or a newspaper. Like they're you know, the they were... uh, they're the the Kindle e reader self published things of the time. They're fan fictions. Right. Essentially, yeah. yeah. So Sweeney Todd first uh, first appeared in a story called The String of Pearls, which was published during the winter of eighteen forty six to eighteen forty seven. But it's set in seventeen eighty five. Okay, so it's set in so the past it's... of the past. Right. Um, so it's set in this time period. Um, it's set in, 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 in a time period when, well, I mean, a lot of that stuff was happening in the 1800s too, but it was set in a time period when like um, patent medicines were really popular. Mm-hmm. So people would mix a bunch of things together. Snake oil. Yeah, snake oil or, you know, they would mix like, you know, a bunch of weird ingredients together and mix them up and sell it as elixirs or potions or whatever. Right. Or and usually um, and like heroin and stuff was in there. Right. As it well. was like opioids and all kinds of bad stuff, but also like cat pee. Mm-hmm. You know? It was just like yeah. And, and so like ink and like yeah, it's yeah, just like weird right. stuff. Probably stuff like that we know now we go like that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, just like um so plant matter. Right. So that's what Pirelli was doing. Had he was soot. Yeah. So that's what Pirelli was doing. He was like selling himself as this like super amazing barber who was selling this magical elixir that could like make your hair grow. Um, Okay. So this show was nominated for nine awards and it won eight out of nine. Wowie zowie. Yeah. So, uh, well, at Tony's, I, I, Mm -hmm. they won a bunch of drama desks too, but you know, Tony's are like the ones that matter, matter. <laughs> i hate are, to say that are, but like what are drama desks 
Um, Drama Desk is like a smaller... So you know how you've got like... Like the Oscars and the Golden Globes? Yeah, that's that's the example I was going to use, but I couldn't remember if the Golden Globes was a good example or not because I'm dumb. Um, But yes, no, the Drama Desks are like the lower level of the Tony Awards. And it's kind of... Drama Desks tend to be more inclusive. Like the, the categories are more... Like are wider ranged... Okay, if that and makes sense. I assume they like also do off Broadway, probably too. I think so. Yes. If okay. I if I don't I don't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure yes. So, tell me about what goes on in this Sweeney's Tadis. Sure. So um, there's all these this wild cast of characters of like misfit well, individuals in this time yes, period. Yes, it's from actually a, a very small cast. Mm-hmm. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine principal nine, characters. Nine principal characters. Ah, 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 ah. Thank you, Count. Um, it's a, a small cast of principal characters, and then there's also a small ensemble who acts as a Greek chorus. Okay. Um, so this the show opens with the Greek chorus coming out, um, and they come back all throughout the play, but it opens with them dropping a body bag into a shallow grave, and then from that grave rises Sweeney Todd, who then introduces the show. Um, And they sing the very first song, which is the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. Spooky. It's very spooky. Now, it is important to note that this show is 80% music. Wow. Yes. Uh, Well, over 80%. Um, and it's either over 80% of the production is either set to music or sung or it has orchestrated music underneath the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just like huge. And this was, this is big because like this was the first time. And I think like since Sondheim has done this much music in a, in a musical, right. um, he just like this was like his magnum opus which is why personally i well i love assassins but i think personally this is my favorite sweeney todd musical um notice that i like the macabre ones (laughs) i don't know why absolutely um and the musical was based off of the 1973 play version written by Christopher Bond. Um, and the reason was because uh, that version of the play gave Sweeney a more psychological reason for doing what he was doing. Because before he was just like a barber who was right. just killing people for no reason. But then in 1973, when the play came out, he all of a sudden had this motivation of like this judge wronged him and now he wanted revenge. Um, and so he was killing people to work his way up to the top. Naturally. I mean, like. Right. As you do. It, it makes. Well, you know, I mean, also, like, just narratively speaking, I guess that makes more makes a more compelling story than just like he's a crazy person who kills people. No, it's like this way. Like, it's the idea of the sympathetic villain character right of like, absolutely right. Like he's doing all these terrible things, but you still feel bad for him. And it leaves you as an audience member feeling conflicted because you're like, oh, he's this guy who lost all this stuff, but like, oh, he's really terrible. He's repugnant, but like if the judge never wronged him, he wouldn't have been this guy. Right. Um. So we get into the show. So we, in the beginning, uh, so 
the show itself is set in 1846. Unlike the story that was set in the 1700s. Um, so at the beginning we have uh, young sailor Anthony and this mysterious man named Sweeney Todd. Uh, right. And on they a, dock in London. Boat. Yes, they, they're on a boat and they sail into the dock and they dock and they say their goodbyes. Um, and there is a beggar woman who comes to them and starts... Uh, selling her wares right and uh todd says no bye (laughs) and uh darn it todd i know uh and he then he then well you know what i mean by selling her wares right no she was a prostitute kinda okay she's a crazy beggar woman and she's like hey boys but she's a crazy lady, and so he's hey like, Hey there, sailor. Right, exactly. Yeah, for a um, bit of shore leave. Exactly. This spooky musical is brought to you by sex trafficking. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Um, Salacious. So uh, it, gets, it gets better. Um, so Todd then like tells Anthony about some of his troubled past and he was a young, this young naive barber and he was banished by this judge who wanted his wife and all this stuff. And so then he, they go their separate ways and Todd goes to the meat pie shop on Fleet Street where we meet Mrs. Lovett for the first time and she sings one of the best songs ever, Worst Pies in London. And it's so funny. She is like the comedic relief of this show. There's a couple other characters, like Pirelli and Toby tend to provide some well, of that. She's like, like a she's like a Python character. She's like a like a Python woman type of character. Of like What do you mean? You know, like Monty Python, like the way that they have their oh, like women characters yeah. come in, they're just like, "What are you doing in my shop? Get out of my yeah. shop!" Right? She's, and, but she's like, she's just like, go, 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 all like she all day, every day. Yeah, get it, get Worst it, Pies in London paper. is so great because Todd keeps trying to have this conversation with her about like who he is and like what are you doing here and like, but she Wait, just keeps going rush? on what's and hurry? on. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. the pie shop have, yeah and she just a keeps customer go- in weeks yeah right it's great she's awesome i love her um so then uh she he says so what what about upstairs is it empty and she says well it used to be owned by this guy named benjamin barker but he was taken away on false charges and then he took barker's wife home and did some very not nice things to her. Okay. Um, so then, uh, uh, so then Todd says, well, I'm Benjamin Barker. And she's like, oh, whoa, no way. Well, I'll keep your secret. And also you should know that your wife died because she poisoned herself and that your daughter is now being taken care of by the judge that wronged you. Damn. And so he's like, cool. So he swears revenge and he's like, uh, so then Mrs. Lovett shows him uh, his old collection of sterling silver straight razors in which These he sings. are my friends. <laughs> yes. He sings a song called My Friends where he sings to his lovely razors. Wonderful. Um, and now we cut to uh, smash cut. a 
Smash cut to a beautiful girl singing at her window to a bird in a cage. The nightingale black bird. Green finch and linnet bird. Yes, that one. Uh, And Anthony sees her singing and is like, wow, she's beautiful. And the beggar woman from the beginning of the show goes, oh, that's Joanna. Um, And so Anthony doesn't know that Joanna is Todd's daughter. And so he instantly becomes like falls in love with her. Right. And he, he like pledges that he's going to come back for her and take her away Steal from her. this terrible, terrible place. Yeah. Uh, and he sings a song called Joanna, which is another very popular song from this show. Um, so then now we, another smash cut to smash cut the crowded to- London marketplace where we meet the flamboyant Italian barber, Adolfo Pirelli uh-huh. and his assistant, Toby, my good friend. Uh, and they sing a great song called Pirelli's Miracle Elixir, which I didn't get to sing because we did a one-act version, and I'm still bitter about it because I learned every word. And then my director goes, oh, by the way, we're not doing that one. And I went, why? How, how does that one go? Uh, I don't remember it now, but it's by Pirelli's Miracle Elixir. I don't know that it's in the movie. I think it is. It is um, yeah, but Pirelli's Miracle Elixir is a cure-all for hair loss. Um, so Todd and Lovett show up, and Todd goes, oh, this elixir is a sham. And so then he challenges Pirelli to a shaving competition and wins um, and invites the beetle. I love uh, the, the idea of a shaving competition. Yeah, it's just whoever can shave a man the fastest. Right, I love that, though, of just like, just like I challenge you to a shave-off. I challenge you to a duel of razor blades. Shaving. Shaving oh. duel. Yes, it's um, almost like it's almost like two people being like, I challenge you to a tie-tying contest. Yeah, it's exactly right, except a little more dangerous and involving sharp instruments. Ties are pretty dangerous. I suppose. You can tie them pretty tight. Yeah, little, I suppose. A little choky, but I think like, I think uh, it up. I think shaving accidents might cause a more immediate death than um, tie strangulation. Depends how lazy you are. It's true. Anyway, so the beetle sees this. the The judge's assistant sees all this happen and is like, "Oh, I'm very impressed." And Sweeney Todd's like, "Cool. Would you like a free shave?" And he's like, "Sure." So then now we flip to several days later. Mm-hmm. Where we see Judge Turpin outside of Joanna's room, and he is just creeping. absolutely creeping. crazed. Yeah, he's just creeping, and he's absolutely creeping. crazed with his growing lust for Joanna. Gross, 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 gross. Um, and he's like, "I'm gonna marry her." Uh, gross, gross, yeah. gross, gross, It's really, gross. really, really gross because she's probably, she hey. was an infant, so she's 16. Hey, baby. Yeah. Um, Why are musicals so gross? Last um, two musicals, very gross. Yeah, this one's less problematic because, like, it knows it's bad is the thing. That's fair. Like this, this musical makes a statement of it. The last one was like excusing it, and this one's like, "Hey, these people are villains and bad because they do these things." Gross, 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 gross. Okay. Yeah, the theme, like the overall theme of this show, is obsession. Right. And it's a, it is a, it is a testament to how 
being obsessed with things can cause ruin in your life and you shouldn't let the things you want and the things you like stay up at night thinking about like consume you and consume your life because you right. won't have a life anymore. Okay. Um, so that's really what the show is trying to say is like, look at all these people who are upset. Like Todd want Todd is obsessed with revenge and Mrs. Lovett is obsessed with Sweeney Todd and the judge is obsessed with Joanna and Anthony's obsessed with Joanna and like all of them end up not great. Um, but we'll get there. Okay. So, um, uh, Sweeney Todd is so anxious because he like really wants the Beale to come. He's like he can like feel, you know, the first step to his revenge is on the way. And Mrs. Lovett is trying to soothe him, and they sing a song. Um, and then Anthony comes and tells Todd of his plan to ask Joanna to elope with him. And Todd is like, "Cool, that sounds awesome. I want to see my daughter again. So you guys can totally come here and chill." And he's like, "Awesome." Um. So Anthony leaves and then Pirelli and Toby enter and Mrs. Lovett takes Toby downstairs to have a pie. And then while Todd and Pirelli are alone, Pirelli's like, hey, by the way, I'm your former assistant, Daniel O'Higgins. Or no, he just like says, I am Daniel O'Higgins, Benjamin Barker's former assistant. And he doesn't realize that Todd is Benjamin Barker. Right. Okay. Um, nope. I'm wrong again. He does realize it and tries to blackmail him. Actually, he doesn't realize it, but Todd doesn't realize it, and then they just go their separate ways. And they make out. What? Then no. They, yeah, then they, then they, you know. Then they kiss. Then they kiss. Gross. <laughs> um, no. So, okay. Yes. Todd and Pirelli are alone. Pirelli drops his act and says, hi, I'm Daniel O'Higgins, Benjamin Barker's former assistant, and I know who you are. And Todd's like, Oh no! And uh, Pirelli's like, "I'm gonna blackmail you and tell it, and like you're gonna be in trouble." And he's like, "No!" And so Todd uh, knocks him unconscious, murders him. Yeah, he he slits his throat and hides him in a chest, and is like, "Cool, that's you're dead now." Um, and then it out. meanwhile, elsewhere. Uh, this show, like, never stops is the other thing. It just, like, goes and goes and goes and goes. Right. Uh, meanwhile, elsewhere, Joanna uh, and Anthony are planning to elope, uh, and the Beatle is recommending Todd's services to the judge so that he can better win Joanna's affections by having being freshly shaved. Um, Mrs. Lovett learns that Prelly is dead and is Stoked. freaked out. Oh. No, she's like really scared. She's like, you murdered a man. Oh my God. Like this wasn't part of the plan. You were supposed to murder two people. And like, so she takes his money. She takes the coin purse off of the body. And she's like, what are you going to do? How are you going to get rid of this body? Um, And suddenly uh, the judge comes in uh, to have a shave and Todd seats him and they sing Pretty Women. Pretty um, women, uh -huh. silhouetted. Which I think is probably popular to anybody older than 40 because I think uh, Barbara Streisand covered it on one of her albums. But anyway, um, but before, the, before Todd can kill the judge, Anthony comes in and is like, I'm eloping with Joanna. And the judge is like, what? <laughs> and storms out and says he's never going to return because Todd is friends with Anthony. And he's like, I can't believe you would try to do this. And all. it's just, it's a mess. Um, and so Todd yells at 
Anthony and he's like, this, that's it. Everybody's a terrible person and I'm going to murder everybody that comes in here because all people are deserve to die because the rich should be punished for everything they do and the poor should be relieved of their misery. Done. Did it. Ultimate yeah. showdown. Nihilism. Let's do it. Kill everybody. Burn the whole place to the effing ground. Exactly. He's like, the rich are corrupt and deserve to die, and the poor live a terrible life, so they should be relieved of it. Uh, and then Mrs. Lovett is like, hey, so by the way, I make meat pies. You kill people. Let's team up. And he's like, cool. Let's High do five. it. Music plays, credits roll, end of musical. Really good one, Sondheim. Really not End of act of one, part. you mean. Oh, no. Every time. Every time. And now it's time for intermission, so let's head to the concession stand. Let's go! So we don't have any ads to play. We're not That's sponsored. Not entirely true. We're not sponsored right now. But um, I wanted to just take this moment to say this is where an ad spot would go, but we want to take the time to say you should check out uh, our good friends over at Overwitch. Um, Overwitch is a new podcast on the network uh, that is a, uh, a video game podcast where three very good boys uh, talk about the latest Overwatch news um, and also talk about new video games and rate them on a scale of how uh, much of their Overwatch time they're willing to give up to play this new game, which I think is a really creative and fun way to talk about video games um, in a way that's like very relatable to people who are like in that scene, you know, like that's a very valuable amount of time. That's like someone's genuine like social life, uh, you know, is on Overwatch and like, you know, it's where you hang out with your friends. And so like to say, I'm not going to do that to play this game means a lot. And so like they have some great recommendations. They have a bunch of really good episodes out right now. And uh, we just pulled them onto the network and we're really excited to have them. So go over there, show them some love, and uh, tell them we sent you. Because, um, gosh darn it, we're trying to start ourselves a little family over here. Blue, why don't you tell, uh, tell the good listeners about our friends over at Netflix and Kill? Sure thing. Um, our friends over at Netflix and Kill are doing a fantastic job. They are going through Netflix and talking about every single uh, horror movie. That's on Netflix. The bad, the good, the bad, and the super scary. Um, it is hosted by some friends of mine from my old college, um, Kai and Marty, and occasionally Hannah, from what I understand. And um, they are doing a great job. They actually just put out their second episode this week, Spooky Halloween episode. So from what I understand, there is plenty more where that came from. And the best part is, if you have a Netflix subscription, you can watch everything that they talk about because it's all available on Netflix. Um, and they're super funny and super fun to listen to. And they're all film majors. So they have super excellent analysis about, you know, cinematography and things that I have no concept for at all. So it's super great to listen to them. And they're uh, they're a good bunch of folks, so go go give them a give them a listen and give them a review because I know they'll really appreciate it. All right, Blue, I got my popcorn, I got my Skittles, I got my extremely overpriced plushie. Let's roll back into the theater. 
All right, the ding, ding, ding. Oh, the lights just flashed. This means it's time to go back to your seats. Those are some noisy. Those are some noisy lights. Well, they—that's what they do most of the time. Ding, 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 ding. Wow, really? Those those lights make a lot of noise for lights. I'd rather live in eternal darkness. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, let's go. So, like all Sondheim musicals, Act Two gets worse. Oh no! <laughs> Literally every Sondheim musical act one is like kind of this one not so much because act one is still kind of scary and spooky, but like act one is like kind of okay and you think that everything's gonna be fine and then act two happens and it all goes way downhill. Um, so we cut smash cut to several weeks later. Mrs. Lovett's pie shop is thriving. Toby is a waiter. Everybody's loving her pies. Mr. Todd's business is just booming. They have a specially designed chair that allows Todd to kill his clients and then send the bodies directly down a chute into the pie shop. Right. Um, and the set and you're like the Broadway production is so cool. Cause they like it's like a the barbershop and pie shop set is like a rotating platform in the middle of the stage and so at one you see it when like with like the solid storefront and it's uh you see the barber chair and Sweeney Todd like slitting people's throats and then it turns around and on the other side is the chute Mm. that comes out it's really cool um uh it's very very good design um so uh he (laughs) this song is so funny this opening number is like it's like disturbingly funny because you've got people who are singing about how good the pies are while Todd is just like casually shaving people and killing them while having this whole existential crisis about he's how he's never going to see Joanna again and he's singing this like super sweet like lilting it's called the Joanna Quartet mm-hmm. um, and it's sung uh, it's sung by uh, Sweeney Todd and Anthony and the judge. And I think the beggar woman. Okay. Um, and so it's this like lilting, sweet, like waltzy kind of thing. And Todd is singing about how he's never going to see Joanna again. And he's just like casually killing people. And Anthony discovers that Joanna is missing and is like freaking out. And then uh, she's locked away in a madhouse by the judge. Um, and so to so that nobody can get their hands on her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Then um, Todd finds out about what Anthony is doing. Um, he he comes, Anthony comes to Todd and he's like begging him for help. He's like, please, please, please help me free Joanna. And so he tells, uh, Todd tells Anthony, okay, um, you pose as a wig maker um, and you're going to purchase inmates hair and they'll let you in and you can help her escape. So then Todd, being the backstabbing jerk that he is, he turns around and he writes a letter to the judge saying, hey, Anthony's going to go try to break the uh, break Joanna out of the madhouse. You should come here and so we can talk about it to try to lure him back to the shop. Right. Um, so now we cut to later that night we're in the pie shop and Toby's telling Mrs. Lovett about how uncomfortable he is around Mr. Todd singing the sweetest song in the world not while I'm around Um, and then 
they're talking to each other and he recognizes Pirelli's corn, coin purse in Mrs. Lovett's hands. And he's like, I know that. Where did you get it? Because he doesn't know that Pirelli died. Right. They've kept it a secret from Toby. Um, and so she's like, oh, don't worry about that, son. Let's go down here and you can see the bakehouse and I can show you how to use the meat grinder in the oven. And she locks him downstairs. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, upstairs, uh, she encounters the beetle. Uh, who says that he has been asked by the neighbors to investigate the strange smell coming from the pie shop. Right. Um, and she stalls him by singing parlor songs uh, at her harmonium, which is like kind of like a piano. Okay. Um, and uh, so Todd so shows rips, up and is like, hey, here's your... sweet synthesizer solo to, dist- to distract him. She's just playing like the top hits of the 80s. Yeah, well, absolutely. The 1780s. Oh. Oh. Um, and so Todd comes down and is like, hey, here's your free shave. And he's like, cool. So Mrs. Lovett starts loudly playing music to cover up the screams as Todd kills him. Mm-hmm. Now we cut to the basement where Toby discovers human body parts. Yum, yum, yum. Just as the fresh corpse comes tumbling down the chute. Come tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling down. He goes crazy and disappears into the sewers. Oh, like a little and so like then, a bunny rabbit. Like a bunny rabbit. And then Lovett goes, hey, um, Sweeney, the kid found out about what we were doing and now he's gone. And Todd's like, cool, we have to kill him now. Um <laughs> Right now we now we smash. Well, listen, the, listen. When the, all the you have it, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so now we smash cut to Anthony arriving at the asylum. More like slash cut. Oh, slash cut. Oh, uh, he arrives to rescue Joanna, but he can't bring himself to shoot the asylum owner. So Joanna takes the pistol and murders him herself. Yum yum. I love her. She's so good. Um, unlike Cosette, she is a multi-dimensional female character. Oh, shots um, fired. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Uh, now the asy- asylum's inmates are free and they pour into the street and they start singing about the end of the world. Meanwhile, Mr. Todd and Mrs. Lovett are searching for Toby. Um, and the beggar woman sings and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and it's very chaotic. Right. Um, Anthony and Joanna are disguised as sailors uh, and they show up to Todd's shop and they find it empty. And so Anthony leaves to find a coach that they can escape. Um, and so she's alone uh, and she hears the beggar woman coming um, and hides in the barbershop. And the beggar woman enters the barbershop and recognizes the room and starts singing a lullaby. Um, and then Todd catches her and he's just like, he's insane at this point. He's just, he's right. frantic and he's, he, you know, they lost Toby and everything's just going down the gutter. And so he slits her throat and sends her down the chute. Plot twist. Yeah. Just like literally seconds before the judge busts in. Right. Um, 
And so Todd tells the judge that Joanna is repentant and asks the judge, uh, and the judge says, well, give me some cologne so that I can freshen up and smell good for when I see her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he puts the judge in his chair and soothes him with another conversation about women. Right. Um, but this time he alludes to their fellow tastes in women. And the judge recognizes him and right as he slashes his throat and sends him hurling down the chute. Awesome. Uh, so now Joanna rises from her hiding place surprising Todd. Uh, and Todd decides to kill her too, not knowing she's Joanna. Because she's disguised as a sailor. Oh. Uh, and Mrs. Lovett shrieks from the bakehouse below and is screaming, and so he's like, oh, no, and Joanna escapes. Um, So downstairs, Mrs. Lovett is struggling with the dying judge, who is not dead yet. Just, like, (laughs) half dead. Mostly dead. This Um, is a very Python moment for Mrs. Lovett. Yes, except it's very scary and terrifying. Um, There's lots of dead bodies in the basement now. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's attempting to drag the beggar woman body into the oven. Right. Um, because she has told a lie. What is she And Todd told? arrives and finds out that the beggar woman is actually his wife, Lucy. And oh, she didn't die. No! She didn't die. She drank poison and she went crazy. And so now uh, Todd is shocked and he's like, you lied to me. And she's like, yes, okay, Lucy did poison herself, but she lived and she went insane and I loved you and I was just lied because I loved you and I'm sorry and he's like I forgive you and they dance and then he shoves her into the oven alive alive and she burns alive and she burns alive in the oven and so he's just Todd is just a mess at this point because his daughter thinks he's well he is a murderer but his daughter saw him murdering and so he's never gonna get to like Love really her. see her. He killed his yeah. wife. And right. He killed his he wife without knowing to. it. He has no reason um, for revenge anymore. Right. He isn't, really has no reason to live because um, everybody he wanted to kill is dead. And then everyone Q-Toby, he wanted to love. Yeah. Q Toby, who now comes in and he's just absolutely insane, shaking, babbling nursery rhymes. He sees the razor, picks it up, and slits Todd's throat. Right. And Todd like and doesn't doesn't react. He's just like Nope. Just dies. Nice. Uh and then Anthony and Joanna come in, uh see Todd dead, see Toby with the razor, and They high five uh, and that's the end. They high five and everybody rises and sings the epilogue and that's that's seriously the end so the other thing that happens at the beginning is um the cast wheels toby on in like a a straight jacket okay so the beginning foreshadows the end so they 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 are burying todd in a grave and they wheel a, a crazed toby across the stage right um and then that's when the show starts so that going into why I loved playing this role and being in this show was because of that. Um, I, my whole life, I'd always played like, you know, I'd played Mary in the Librarian and I'd played, 
right. um, the cat in the hat, which was a fun role, you know, and I'd played like timid characters. Um, yeah, nice, well, and I'd played well, I'd played I'd played a lot of strong female roles and like just like people who were like stable, <laughs> right. And so then I got to play Toby and literally go insane at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. And that was so much fun for me. And I grew so much as an actor. And like, it wasn't the getting to murder somebody part, although that was fun too. Cause like, I've always wanted to die on stage. Right. But I've never gotten to. So like, the next best thing is getting to kill somebody on stage. Right. Right. Um, and and Toby is <laughs> such a beloved character by the end of like, by the time. Cause you know, he's just such a sweet, sweet little thing. Mm-hmm. And the audience loves him. And so seeing this like, this like one pure character be the like final murderer in the show. Right. It like destroys the audience. And as an actor, that's like super fun. Right. <laughs> so I really enjoyed. And plus like the cast of this show, we all got super close. Cause like you don't have any other option, but to just be like super close. Cause this show is so dark. And so like, we all the time were making super macabre jokes because we did the, we did a one act version in a black box. And so we kept trying to figure out how Mrs. Lovett was going to get into the oven. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the oven, cause like everything was just built out of like black cubes. Cause we weren't allowed to have like sets or anything. Right. Um, and so we kept making jokes about how we were going to cover a slip and slide with a fake blood and just like slide her into the oven. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was really good. I loved that cast. Everybody was super nice and like it was it was just really fun. And like I was a freshman in high school, you know, and so I was like super insecure and like I got cast in this lead part and I got to be, you know, a soprano for the first time in my life because I'd been an alto all through middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just really fun. And plus, like, you know, we talked about how the, some of the themes of this show are like obsession, obsession. Revenge, yeah. But yeah. it really is also about, I mean, Sweeney Todd really is just a, he's just a man who like wants his family back. Right. He just really wants his family back and he just really wants things to be the way they were well, before he was yeah, wronged. And family, like, family is a big theme in this because it, Mrs. Lovett wants a family with with Todd and Toby and, and Toby, Toby wants right. a family with Mrs. Lovett. Mrs. Lovett. And Anthony and wants Todd to start wants a family with, with Joanna, Joanna and absolutely. the judge like, wants to like take Todd's family from him and yeah. Yeah, so family is a huge theme in this show, even if it's not, like, it's kind of, like, broken family, but, like, it really, I mean, like, it plays a huge part mm-hmm. uh, in the story of this show. Um, And, uh, whew. Yeah, it's sorry. a lot. It's, it's a lot, yeah. Um, And so Sondheim thought it was just going to be like a small little horror thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when Hal Prince got his hands on it, he set the show in this like this environment of the industrial revolution. Right. And so he turned the show into a metaphor uh, f- on the human condition. Right. And how like, Basically, it was the idea of like Sweeney Todd is just one 
version of their the the machine that is the world is constantly churning out Sweeney Todd's these people who are broken and damaged and wronged and violent and sad and like right the, you know the, that's what the world is the world creates people like Sweeney Todd and so that was kind of the idea of the show is that like it's set in this kind of um part quote part cathedral part factory part prison unquote um and so yeah and so about how it's like you know it just it it really that's what Hal Prince kind of went for um which I think is really an interesting way to kind of look at this um well, happy but, Halloween, everybody. We're all murderers, yeah. and the machine of the world so is to just turning us into... Yeah, to lighten the mood. To lighten the mood a little bit, I'd like to take a second to talk about some of the music in this show okay. um, and do a little bit of music analysis. This is going to be for those music nerds out there, and um, for those of you that aren't music nerds, you might learn a few things, which will be cool. I get to talk about theory stuff, and it's fun for everybody. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this score is by far... So Sondheim is known for complex scores. I mean, like, in musical theater culture, like, in the world of musical theater, you don't take Sondheim music into an audition. You just don't do it because it's impossible to play unless you're, like, an amazing pianist, which most people in an audition setting who are playing for you are amazing, but, like... Nobody wants to sight read Sondheim. Are you kidding me? Right. Like, it's awful. It's terrible. It's really hard to play. Like, it's great music, but it's really hard to play, and it's even harder to sing. Um, and this show is by far one of his most complex. And it's actually really cool what he does in this show because he relies a lot on what's called counterpoint. Um, and counterpoint was a super... So it started to kind of develop in like the Renaissance and Baroque periods and then became even more popular in the classical period, which is like so brilliant because um, the show is set in the classical period. So like he wrote the music to be kind of like a modern version of that time period. Yeah, it became part of the setting. Yeah, it's super cool. So um, Counterpoint is like simply defined as like polyphony which is like two voices that are singing I believe it's polyphony yeah it's they're, they're two voices that are harmonically interdependent of each other so they're like in the same key but, but they're, they're singing, singing the two completely melody. different lines right Right, so they are they the harmonies the the chord progression is the same, but the rhythm and the contour are different. So the effect is two people with completely different agendas, both talking over one another and not listening. Exactly, the effect is two melodies going on at the same time. If you want a good example to hear, there's a really good example of um, the fugue in A flat major from the book of the Well Tempered Clavier by Bach. Um, or the worst pies in London. Sure. Um, I, the Joanna Quartet would be an even better example. Okay. Um, uh, so that's super cool. Another thing about this is um, there is a term called leitmotif. Uh-huh. 
Is that which, when you um, like theme all of the lamps in your home? No, but good guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> thanks for aunt, I, thanks for thanks for talking down to me. I appreciate it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, a light motif is um, a defined as a short or constantly recurring musical phrase and it's usually associated with like a person a place or an idea so this happens in film scores a lot like there will be lord of the rings it's the that's the fellowship theme right exactly sorry you were cutting out a lot so i couldn't i couldn't tell what you were singing Um, but yeah, so there, there will be a, you know, a person, a place or an idea will get a theme. And then every time that reoccurs, it'll, that theme will come back. Um, and this show has at least 20 distinct leitmotifs that are all throughout the score. That's a lot of leitmotifs. It's wild. That's crazy. Um, there's also a, an ancient ballad called Diezere. Uh Uh-huh. Um, which comes in and out a lot. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on it, except that it's like a super old hymn. That's spooky. Um, yeah. Um, so, hmm. Um, but yeah, this, this was a precursor to a lot of other dark, otherwise, what, what, uh, what Sondheim has described as black operettas. Um, right. So, Phantom of the Opera, Jekyll and Hyde, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, they use the the term "grusicle" as a commercial label. That's very cute. gruesome musicals. Yeah, it's very cute. Um, and a lot of people would consider this an opera. It's not. I would consider it a musical theater opera, um, because, like, in some sense, it is an opera. It's mostly sung. Right, and it's high it melodrama. Yeah, it's high melodrama, and it's super gruesome and like dark. Right. Which a lot of, especially Italian opera like Puccini, so much death, so much death. So like, it definitely has the contents of an opera. But the problem with Sondheim's style of writing is a lot of it is very speaky. It's very talky and like requires a lot of chest voice and like arrhythmic kind of, which is like super not opera at all. Right. So like singing it in an operatic style doesn't work. You have to sing this music in a, in a classical musical theater style. These um, are my friends. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Like that would never work. And they actually did a version at the New York Opera House. They tried and uh, it didn't, failed. Yeah, it didn't work very Word well. Word is failed. Um, although the director of the Metropolitan Opera wanted to put it on at the Met. Fair enough. Uh, he said he he says quote I would have put it on like a shot if I'd had the opportunity. There would have been screams and yells, but I wouldn't have given a heck. I'm censoring that because Ooh. it's an opera, a modern American opera, unquote. Dang. Well, he said, he said, not the word you're thinking of, but. Right. Um, yeah. So it's a good show. Um, there is a feature film adaption produced by DreamWorks and Warner Brothers, directed by Tim Burton that stars Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. <sighs> it was well received by critics. 
It won a Golden Globe. I enjoyed it. I hate it. It's fine. It just like I don't like Johnny Depp's performance. Well, and he's I always feel just like, like he's he's King Grimdark. Yeah, but that's not who Sweeney Todd is. He's a very feeling person. He's a very passionate feeling person who just wants his family back. He's not this like mellow, mellow like what's the word I'm looking for? Monotone, Mel- melancholy, like, flat faced, no expression. Like everything's behind closed doors. That's not who he is. He slits people's throats. He's like crazy and big, and he's a big character, right? Um, and so I feel like every Sweeney Todd since 2007 has tried to be Johnny Depp. And I'm just like, uh, no. Um, there is another film adaption that I love. And it is uh, a videotaped stage version of Angela Lansbury and George Hearn performing like the original Broadway production. Mm. Um, it's part of the PBS uh, Great Performances series. Um, I watched it like obsessively when I was in this show. It is so good. If you can find it, I highly recommend watching it because it's like the original set and it's Angela Lansbury people and it's the whole show and it's not like Les Mis, you know, it's like done on a stage and filmed on a stage with an audience, which is how it should be done. And I love it. It's so good. Baby, you and I have to watch it together. It's so good. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's. I think that's a good. Place. I think that's all I've got about Sweeney Todd. I love this show. It I'm sure there's like something it. about it that's problematic, but like. There is with everything these days, but yeah. Here's the thing, you know, if it makes your heart go pitter pat, then it's a good a musical. And yeah. nothing gets your heart going, like watching other people's hearts stop. So. <laughs> That's that should be the catchphrase. Where's my phone? I have to call Sondheim right now. All right, we're gonna go call Sondheim. But anyway, See, let's listen. I have the best thing. Yes, it's me, Stephen Sondheim. No, he doesn't sound like that. He's from New York. Hey, whoa, it's me, Stephen Sondheim. What the fuck? What the hecky woody woo? What do you want? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was born in New York City. In hey. 19- He's 88? Hey, it's me. I'm 300 years old. What do you want? It's late. Why are you calling me? <laughs> hey, listen. I'm a freaking Steve, vampire. I- what are you doing? Steven, I know you're sleeping, but listen. I sleep Steve during the Joshua day. Sondheim. I have a new catchphrase for Sweeney Todd. Oh, what is it? Blood, blood, for most blood? most of your musical, actually. No, 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 no. It is... Nothing gets your heart going like watching other people's hearts stop. Mother of God. It's good, right? Hang on, I gotta call my friend. (laughs) Which one? Any of them. But mostly my razor blades. Anyway, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Steve, for that phone call. Thanks, Steve. Special thanks to Steve for calling Did you know he was in. mentored by Oscar Hammerstein? Who? Or oh. Hammerstein? Oh. I was like, who is that? And then you said their last name. <laughs> um, like cool. the 
Hammerstein of Rogers and Hammerstein? Yes, I know of I know of their work. <laughs> um I've heard of them. Um yeah, I think that's as good a place as any to leave off. Yeah, happy, that is. Happy uh, belated Halloween, everyone. Happy belated Halloween. Thank you so much for listening to Tin Pan Diddly Do and for joining us today at this very late hour. Haley's a sleepy girl. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna go. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Are they musical theater nerds? Are they not? Who cares? They'll enjoy it. Um, uh, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Tin Pan Diddly Do. Diddly is spelled D I D D L Y, and Do is D O O. Um, or you can find me I- on Twitter at Hey Stews. Yep, and I'm on Twitter at Blue Space Queen. And all of our stuff is on our website, lunarlightstudio.com. That is our network. Um, we have a lot of a new lot of good exciting going shows on. going on over mm-hmm. there. We got What You Call It. We got Over Witch. We're talking with another podcast soon about them coming on as well. Mm-hmm. Got Netflix um, and Kill. We ne- got Storyboard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We uh, got our, our other shows, Good Boys, Girls, and Ink Tank. Um, which are great and yeah, so come on over to Lunar Light Studio. We're having a good old time there, and it's only getting better. So hop on the good times train. Hop Choo-choo. on the train. Get on early. Get on board early before anybody else, because this is gonna be big, y'all. Big it's gonna y'all. be big, y'all. Lunarlightstudio.com or on Twitter at LunarlightHQ. And with that, why don't you take it out, sweetheart? Exit stage left.